joy of the Lord is our strength, right? Anybody want to be stronger? Yeah, come on. Joy of the Lord, that's where it's at. It feels so good. Being around joyful people is infectious, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I want to be around. I want to be around. That's what I want. I want to see a church that's full of joy. Not the manufactured fake stuff, but the real spirit-given stuff. That's what I'm looking for. That's fun stuff to be around. All right, take your Bibles this morning. Again, you can turn to them wherever you want. I'm going to be in the book of Romans for a little bit. What page? I'll tell you as soon as I get there. Yes, Romans 12. I want to talk a little bit more about grace. You guys okay with that? Yeah. Talking about grace. Yeah. Grace is, we talked about it last week, it was empowerment. We talked about that aspect of grace. It's empowerment. Um, today I want to talk about grace being the power to change. How many of you would look at your own life and say there's things inside that need to change? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and those who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> or you haven't figured it out yet. We've all got stuff inside that needs to change, but the only way for us to see real change in our lives is through grace. It doesn't, grace is a free gift. We talked about that last week. It's a free gift. It cannot be earned. You can't work for it. It's a free gift. As a matter of fact, the minute you try to work for it, you negate the gift itself. It's a gift. You receive it. You say, Lord, everything that you have in grace that you're giving to me, and it's full. Trust me. Grace is one of those pregnant words. It's got all kinds of stuff inside of it. It's full of the wondrous glories of heaven. And it's nearly impossible to define what grace really is. But it's wonderful. It's full. But we talked about it last week being for empowerment. But grace this week, I want to talk about it being the power to change. Change is normal in Christianity. Or it should be. Every one of us. We're being transformed from glory to glory. Right? 2 Corinthians 3. We're being transformed from glory to glory. So there's this ongoing way of change in the life of a believer. Or there should be. Going to church for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30, 35, you get up to my age, 48 years. Going to church that long does not make you a mature believer. Living in a garage does not make you a car. Going to church does not make you a believer, does not make you a Christian. There's a process that we give ourselves to, which is not about work, it's about surrender. It's about yielding the self-life and saying, Lord, more of your grace, more of your grace, more of your grace on me. Christianity is not defined really by its doctrines, by its teachings, by its principles, by its practice. Now, we tend to think that way in the church, that that's what Christianity is defined by, certain principles or teachings. No, Christianity is defined by its passion. Hello? It's defined by its passion. If you don't believe me, look at the life of Christ. He taught, but he modeled passion, right? In the giving of himself, the whole crucifixion. There's a reason why we call it, when we get to that season, the passion. The movie, the passion of Christ. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, that'll shake you. It's marked by its passions. It's not marked by its eschatology, its hermarchiology, its soteriology. It is marked by its Christology, Because Christ is the center, the perfect one, and he is the absolute sum total of everything. Somebody say amen to that. If you can't find it in Jesus, you have a reason to question it. All things held together by him, for him. They're all created for him, through him. In him they exist, right? 
Everything, everything comes down to the person of Jesus. So looking at him is the model. In normal Christianity, it should be Christianity of power. Christianity that releases power, that releases heaven. Real Christianity, I really believe, is the recognition that we have a spiritual DNA that gives us an appetite for the miraculous and the supernatural. Did you know that? That's what grace does. When grace comes and lands on you, it changes your internal DNA structure. You are no longer who you used to be. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a what? New creation. How do you make a new creation? You put new DNA in them and it changes them from the inside out. The DNA shifts all that. That's what happens with grace. When grace comes on the scene, it's a DNA that comes inside and it changes us and awakens us, should be awakening us to a spiritual reality that gives us an appetite for signs and wonders and for transformation. I'm telling you guys, that's what I'm giving my life to. I'm not giving my life to doing pretty good church. I am giving my life to seeing transformed lives. That's what I will give my life to. And if that doesn't work, we'll find another way to do it. But I'm not going to play the little churchy game. It's about transform lives. Anybody want to get in on this with me? How does it happen? It happens through grace, guys. That's it. That's it. It's not grace plus. It's grace only. It's not grace plus because grace has everything in it already. Anything we try to add to grace is simply our own interpretation or definition on what grace does. And it doesn't help us. The best thing to do in understanding grace is sit in a room with Jesus for a while and say, tell me what that looks like. Tell me what grace looks like. Show me what grace looks like. Show me. Show me. Make it happen inside here. That way I understand it in a way that I wouldn't understand it just by somebody telling me. Is this making sense? There's a connection that we have that Christ has brought us into with the Trinity that is is unbreakable. But we, in our own thinking, tend to think that somehow we've got to work our way into God somehow. No, that's what grace does. It brings you in. I've said it before. It's a little offensive, but I'll say it again. You have been brought so fully into the Trinity. If you were any more part of it, you would be a threat. That's how fully you have been brought into the Trinity. There's no, you have been brought fully into him. If you don't believe me, look at the book of Ephesians. 32 times at least it says in him, in him, in him, in him, in him, over and over and over again. The sum total of your life is now found in him. What does Galatians 2.20 say? We talk about it all the time. Come on, Joe, say it. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Come on, that's good news right there, isn't it? You've been crucified. How many people in here are dead? Yeah, I'm going to keep hitting this until I get every hand in the room up. How many people in here are dead? You are absolutely dead. Do not take the phenomenal cosmic power that you have been given and try to raise your dead nature. It's dead. It's dead. We have a danger of doing that in the church. You know that. Jesus says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, right? Unfortunately, we take that power we've been given to raise the dead and we try to raise the old nature again because we can't make sense of certain things. Trust me, your sinful nature is dead. It's gone. It's dead. How many dead people do we have in the room? Yeah. Why am I harping on this so much? Because grace is the spiritual DNA that we have inherited. First Peter says that we have been made partakers of a divine nature. Come on, is that good news? Yeah. 
You've been made partakers. The word partakers literally means you've been baptized into. You've been brought into, born into a completely new nature. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Have you, are you getting this yet? This is what grace does. It's important for us because if we don't think this way, we will behave in a way opposite of what we profess that we believe. And if we don't really think like that and let it change the way we think, we will, well, I'll put it this way. Proverbs says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, the processes, the things that go through my mind, my mind on a continual basis will produce how my life is lived. How many in here are children of the king? Now, every hand in a room should go up, right? Now, how many times do we say that, though? We put our hands up, but there's still something lost on the inside right here where it's like it doesn't make sense. I know I'm supposed to say that because I'm in church. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to grasp, isn't it? You are, Phil. You're God's favorite. And I'm his favorite. You are. And you're his favorite. It's awesome, right? How do I know that? Because you're the only one on the planet like you. He doesn't compare us to him. He doesn't compare us to each other. We do that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We've got to settle this issue that grace is not something that we work for. It's not something we strive for. It's something we just begin to believe more and more and more and more. And it's all sufficient. Why do you think Paul cried out and said, God, help me with this? And God's, Jesus' reply was, it's okay. In your weakness, I'm made strong because my what? Grace is sufficient. In other words, it's got everything in it that we need. <clears throat> I told you to turn to Romans 12, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Again, this passage of scripture is mine. You can borrow it whenever you want, but it's mine. Okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, I'm reading out of New King Jimmy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some passages say reasonable act of worship. I've been corrected. I stand corrected. Spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's that thinking thing again, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Hmm. Wow. There's only one thing I have to prove in life. One thing. That his will is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we turn it around the other way and we go, okay, I got to work on that. I got to work on that so that I can prove. I got to prove that God is, you know, I got to prove his will. I got to prove that all that is good. And it, no, you don't have to do anything. You come back to living in grace and you saturate yourself in it. You will understand that the only thing you have to do in life is live from that place. And from that place, you will prove that God's will is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely good. And it's absolutely acceptable. Doesn't that make it a lot easier? But what do I do? How do I do that? Well, listen, don't do anything. Don't get caught up in the doo-doo. <laughs> Do, 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 do this. No, 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 no. Come back to the place where you're just resting and you're clothing, you're sinking into who he is. Yeah, come on. You feel that? Just hold your hands out for a minute. You can feel it. It's, all, it's not all about talk here. It's action. Come on. Lord, put that on people right now. Feel, feel. Say, Lord, I want to feel grace. Yeah, right on. Lord, I want to feel grace. 
Yeah, it's in this place, church, that we prove to the world that God's will is acceptable and good and it's perfect. This is what grace does, church. We, the church, were changed so we can extend his rule in the earthly sphere. Remember what Adam was charged with? Remember at the Garden of Eden? Naming animals, right? And taking charge of the garden, right? He was the one who was left as the person to take care of the entire garden. Well, what Adam lost in the garden, Jesus regained in the garden. The Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will. Because in the garden of Adam and Eve, it was not your will, but my will. Did I say that wrong? Adam and Eve said, not your will, my will. Jesus comes in the garden, he says, not my will, your will. So what was lost in the Garden of Eden was regained in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thank God it's through Jesus Christ who does this, right? Not me, not me. My willpower, I don't trust it any further than I can throw it. If I try to live my Christianity out by my willpower, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to get really prideful because I have some measure of success or I'm going to get really defeated and depressed because I find out I can't do it at all. Which one of those sounds like fun to you? Neither one, right? That's why I believe this is why David, who was called a man after God's own heart, would say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's what my soul is good for. My willpower, that's where it exists, right there in your soul. That's what it's good for. The only thing my will is good for is to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I bless your holy name. Why? It puts our vision and our mind back in the right perspective. This is who I'm looking at. This is who I'm, this is who I'm setting my entire attention on. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above. That word mind uh, for neo actually can be translated and used as affections. It oftentimes is. Set your affections on things above. Ooh, there's a good one. Set your affections on things above. How many things on this planet are we in love with? And if our love language, if our love attention shifts to heaven itself, to him, to the person of Jesus, then everything begins to line up. I thought that was a pretty good word. He has commissioned us to transform this planet into a radiant place saturated with his power and his presence. How does that happen? By us striving? Nope. Nope. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. I am what I am. That's not a place of, oh, woe is me. That's a place of, you know what? I understand my authority and my position in Christ, and it's only because of his grace inside of me that makes it happen. Come on, we've got so much of our New Testament because of writings of Paul. And he says that. I am what I am. I am that way because of the grace of God. He knew who he was. He knew really well who he was. Here's what grace does. When grace comes on the scene, it allows us to look at our past through a completely different lens. We talked about it last week. The salvation is not, everybody hear me, salvation has a little bit to do with your eternity. It has a little bit to do with that. It has a whole lot to do with what's happening right now. Because the word sozo, while it means salvation or saved, it also means kept. Who's the one that keeps us? Yeah, it's his grace. That's what does it. It's the empowering presence of himself. He came on the scene and it's said of him in John 1.14, it says he is the fullness of grace and truth. And by the way, those guys, those things are not opposite of each other. Grace and truth. Grace is not this warm, sappy, milky little, oh, this is so nice. And truth over here is where you whack people over the head with a two by four. Yeah. 
They're not two, set, two separate things. They are not. Grace is powerful. Grace is convicting. When you really see it, when you see grace operating in the life of an individual and you look at it and go, my God, how do you do that? Well, it's convicting because we start to see, I'm trying to do it on my own willpower. This person's just walking around madly in love with Jesus. That was another good word right there. Renewing the mind. It says right here. Let's break this down a little bit. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is one of my core places in life. This, I live from this right here. So a number of you guys have heard this before, but I think it bears repeating ongoingly. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conformed it, it is the word suskamatidzu in the Greek, which is a really fun word to say. Everybody say that. Suskamatidzu. Bless you. It's where we get the word schematic. Anybody in here know what a schematic is? A schematic is a wiring diagram. It's like if you, if you take a piece apart of electronics like that, if you take it apart and look at it, there's going to be some piece of paper in there that shows the wiring diagram on where things are connected. That way, whoever takes it apart knows where things are going and they can fix them. It's like he's saying, don't look like the wiring diagram of this world. Don't let your brain think like the world thinks. The world still thinks that God is moved by need when he's moved by faith. That's a worldly thinking and it's crept into the church. God is not moved by need. He was so moved by need, he sent his son and met every need possible. Now, how do we actuate it? It's through faith. Hello, are you in the room with me? So we can't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. The wiring of our minds gets absolutely switched and changed. And how many of you know you've got thought patterns that have run that course through your brain so many times, it's so well-worn that that's the way you're predisposed to think. But we have to be careful because as a man thinks, so is he. So what does grace do? It comes on the scene and it reveals heaven. It's a heavenly commodity. It's a resource, a divine resource of heaven that comes in and says, no, there's another way to think about this. Don't be conformed. Don't think like the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. What does the renewed mind do? The renewed mind grasps hold of things that God is doing where heaven comes to earth. How many people in here got healed today? Let me see your hands. Seriously, if you know you got something changed, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I'm seeing nine hands where people are saying, I got healed today. Okay, now you are in perfect position now to have your mind renewed. And everybody in here in the room who witnessed it, you have perfect, you're in perfect position to see your mind renewed. What do you mean, Andrew? Here's what I mean. You saw somebody get healed. So what should that tell you? God heals. God does not contain the ability to heal. He heals. When someone came to Jesus in the Gospels and said, if you're willing to heal, what did Jesus say? I'm willing. Okay, that should tell us something right there. That should tell us right there. I'm willing. Okay, so now it should change our prayers. Hello. Hello. Listen to me, church. We need to grow up in this. No longer going up to people and saying, well, if it's God's will that you be healed, then I pray that you be healed. Come on. What does that do? That puts us in a place of passivity and checks us out when we are the very people who have been brought into this planet to reveal heaven itself. Don't say if it's God will you be healed. Say no. Be healed in Jesus' name. Come on. Risk it a little bit. Risk it a little bit. You heard Dave's testimony earlier about the guy in the wheelchair. He's risking it. I love that man and I love what he does and you need to get around him because what what he has rubs off on you and it's really good. 
except for that whole Indianapolis thing. Good God. Sorry, I won't go there. I'm not sure about all that stuff. The renewed mind, sorry, I will get back on track. The renewed mind is essential to seeing the kingdom come. How many want to see the kingdom come? Well, listen, it's by embracing grace. That's what happens. You embrace grace and you say, no, that is the power. Inside of that is the power to change, the power to change the way I think. The word transformed there is only used three times in scripture. Three times. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's only used three times in scripture and two of them are repeats because they're in the gospels talking about the same story. No, sorry. There's four of them, three of them, because two of them are repeats in the gospel. The word there is metamorpho. Anybody know what word we get from that? Metamorphosis, right? So metamorphosis. So if you hear metamorphosis, what do you think of? A butterfly, right? Now we, again, because we understand that and we went through fifth, fifth grade science class, we understand that a caterpillar goes into a chrysalis or a cocoon and it comes out a butterfly. Now, we understand that because of what we've been taught, but think about this for a minute. How many of you, not knowing that, would ever look at a caterpillar and go, oh, heck yeah, that's going to be a butterfly one day? (laughs) Do you know what happens when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon? I like this class. Thank you. It melts down. I'm having a meltdown. Good! that it turns into a liquid completely unrecognizable to what its former form was and then out of that it turns into a butterfly now my son went through a phase here where we had a few of them in our backyard and they were putting those cocoons and chrysalis all over our back patio it was phenomenal to watch it to see these caterpillars climbing all over these plants eating them up just destroying these things then climbing up the wall and making a cocoon and watching it for a few weeks and all of a sudden this wonderful monarch butterfly comes out it's like are you kidding me think about this church this is what we are the change that happens inside does the caterpillar go in there and go butterfly butterfly i can do it wings wings grow wings grow wings It goes in there and it just does what it's designed to do. Yeah. The other places that word is used, metamorpho, it's used on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember with Jesus, it said he was transfigured and his face became other. He like turned into white, so white that it was like launders couldn't even get clothes that clean. Do you remember that? This is kind of freaky stuff. It was so freaky that Peter freaked out right there. Instead of just enjoying the moment of the glory of God being made manifest on the Son of Man right there in person, he goes, let's build tabernacles. <laughs> you know the story. Oh, trust me, church. Listen, if God were to really show up in this room, you know what we'd start doing predominantly? We'd start trying to prophesy. We'd start trying to give words of knowledge. We'd start trying to pray for the sick. Those things are all wonderful. They're all great. But I'm telling you, when God shows up in the room and manifests himself like that, you sit there and go, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what I don't know. He's so awesome. Oh, man. It's not, 
the mind is a wonderful thing if it's renewed, if it's a renewed mind. But the mind can be a terrible thing if it's not renewed. But it's important. I'm not saying bypass the mind. The mind is incredibly important. I'm not saying try to slip into some level of spirituality that's out in the nebulous stratosphere that has no practical application for here on earth. I'm not saying go to that. Are you guys tracking with me? There's a spiritual thing that happens. There's a reality that happens with grace in the spirit in our lives, but it has to come down to something where it's seen on earth. Why do you think Jesus transfigured right in front? Why did that happen? Have you ever wondered? Why did he do that? He goes up on the mountain. He starts glowing. He's white. And then he's like, all right, let's leave. I'm done with that. I'll see y'all later. Why did that happen? I believe as much as anything else, whatever Jesus modeled on the earth was a representation for us to step into. He was fully man. He was fully, fully man. So what does that mean for us? We can model whatever we saw in him, right? I haven't glowed yet. I am waiting for the day when I start to glow. I want to see it happen. Just start glowing. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's not get caught up in some high, lofty, spiritual kind of thinking, though, that has no practical application here on earth. Have you ever heard the saying before, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good? That's impossible. Because if you truly are heavenly-minded, you will be the most earthly good you've ever been. So if you think you're heavenly-minded and you're no earthly good, you're thinking about a different kind of heaven. And it ain't the heaven that Jesus modeled. It's not the heaven that he said, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a completely different kind of heaven. Yeah. Transformed. There's one other place. I told you about that one right there. There's one other place you see it. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I think it's verse 16 or 17. Maybe it's 18. It's in that area right there. Just go there and turn right or left. You'll find it. That we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed. From what? Okay, people in here who have an identity problem and you're questioning who you are in Christ, the word does not say you are going from garbage to glory. It says you are going from glory to glory. In other words, your starting point is way better than you could ever imagine. Why? It's because of grace. It's because of the grace of God. The grace of God and what he's done, we get to be partakers of something that he has done and he has brought us into. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Let's let the striving of trying to climb up into God... Let's finish that stuff. Let's just be done with that. We need the kind of transformation and the experience of it in our life of real grace, not just the word G-R-A-C-E that we can hold our hands up and say, yeah, by the grace of God, but the kind of grace that we experience so deeply that it transforms us from the inside out. Somebody say amen to that? Theology itself has been exalted at the expense of belief. An academic assessment has replaced firsthand supernatural experience. I'm tired of academic assessment and just theology. Where's the belief? Where's the supernatural experience of the creator himself who's called the lover of my soul that says, I've done everything so that you and I can be together? He didn't do everything so you could go do some good works. That's fruit. That's fruit of being in him. 
You try to do works outside of him, it's really kind of ugly. Yeah. It's like when our minds are not renewed, it's like we're discordant. Being a musician, I understand what that means. There are certain notes that sound really good when you put them together. There are others that don't. I tend to find those that don't an awful lot. But being discordant is kind of like having a mind that is not lining up with his mind. It's a mind, it's a portion of the mind that has not been renewed yet. But you know what? It's not something that we strive for because 1 Corinthians tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Really? How many in here believe that you have the mind of Christ? Come on. Come on. Even if you don't believe it right now, hold your hand up just to humor me. You have the mind of Christ. You do. Well, I don't know. I just don't think like him. Okay, well, stop striving. Why don't you just sit back and listen for a while? Just listen to his voice. It'll start to come to you. You'll start to recognize that the way you're thinking may not line up with his. It's okay. There's a challenge in this because grace works when we start to yield to it. I don't know how a better way to put it. It's, it's a denial of the self-life and the self-understanding. If you want to try something really crazy, take your own personal theology for a minute and just say, Lord, I'm going to set that aside. Any kind of strong theology that you have that you feel like, this is it, I'm holding this together. Set that aside for a minute and say, God, do you want to mess with that a little? Hello? Because if we are as people who have been filled with the grace of God are not operating in this kingdom kind of power where it's oozing out of us everywhere we go, then we have to ask the question, what am I thinking that he's not thinking? Because there's a discordant thing going on there where it's not harmonizing, it's not coming together. I believe this kind of mind is... That's, it's, the, it's, a, it's what happens in our minds that keeps us from being used by Christ in the kingdom. Is this making sense? It's not because we haven't done something right enough so that he'll use us. It's because our minds aren't thinking like his yet. The word repent. Hello? I'm going to talk about that one. Anybody like the word repent? Yes. I love the word repent. I love the word repent too. It's not a moment. It's a movement. Repentance is not a moment. It's a movement. How many of you were taught? Now, if you go here normally, keep your hands down. Or maybe, no, you can, you can raise your hands. How many of you were taught that repentance means to turn and go in the opposite direction? Let me see your hand. That's wrong. Repentance does not mean turn and go in the opposite direction. That is the fruit of repentance. Repentance means, literally, metanoia means to change your mind. Change the way you think. What? So what happens when you repent? Do you stop sinning? Well, if you truly repent, you will. But if you just try to do it out of behavior modification, you might do it for a while, but you'll never have any success in it. I know what that's like. I've tried that. I've tried it for years. Hello? You're still tracking with me. Repent does not mean to go in a different direction. Repent means to change your mind. And when you truly tra- change your mind and your mind begins to be renewed, repentance becomes, or ch- turning and going the opposite direction becomes the fruit of that. Why? Because as a man thinks, who is he? And if I'm thinking the right thoughts, then I'm doing the right things. Hello? Even the word in English, think about this for a minute. Repent. Repent. It's a form of two words. Re meaning what? Again. And pent meaning what? High. That's where we get the word penthouse. 
It's the high, lofty building on any corner of any building called the penthouse. It's one of the four corners, usually, of the highest point on any building, usually the most desired place. Repent. Go again to the high place. Wait, didn't we hear in Isaiah, my thoughts aren't like your thoughts. My ways aren't like your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. And so he comes along, breaks open everything that Colossians says that you at once were at enmity in your minds with Christ. He's removed all of that stuff. Now we have the ability to think like he thinks. Why? Because he gave you his mind. You have the mind of Christ. Are you in the room with me this morning? This is what real repentance is. Real repentance is saying, you know what? I'm starting to think like heaven thinks. Yeah, those are, that's really awesome. That people have to get healed whenever I show up in the room. They have to. It's what Lynn was talking about. No, we're not on this threshold. It's going to drop right there. Why? I've got the kingdom of God inside of me. That's powerful. That's awesome. John 3, 3. Here's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And he says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom, right? Really, that's a poor translation to say born again. Really, it should say, if you look at it, it really should say, unless one be born from above. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from him, the father of lights who doesn't change. And he brings us into new life with him. It's not born again in a sense that you do this again. That's why Nicodemus was so out of his wits when he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't understand how you don't get this. No, you and I, listening to Jesus, go back in time for a minute. And he says to you and me, hey, listen, dude, you can't see heaven unless you're born again. What would you think? Now, how are you going to do that? I think my mom might have a few issues with that. We think in the natural. He says to Nicodemus, how is it that you're a teacher of the law and you don't even get this? How is it you don't even understand what I'm talking about? You of all people should understand this thing. Unless a man be born from above, cannot see the kingdom of God. This is what repentance really is like. Is this helping you this morning? This is what grace does. It brings in something for us to look at so we have the option to change our mind. Grace says one thing, Will, law, says a completely other thing. And when we see grace for what it is, we get the chance to truly repent. Unfortunately, what we have in the church is enough repentance to ease the conscience, but not enough repentance to transform the life. You get, we got enough repentance where we'll stop doing the wrong thing and start doing the right thing, just enough to ease our conscience. And I can go to church and I can present well and I can make it look fine and okay, I can hang out with everybody and I got the lingo and I can say what I need to say and I can lift my hands and say, glory be, and I can do all that. But that's just enough repentance to ease the conscience. What we need is enough repentance to transform the life. This is what grace does. It's the power to change. There's power in it. That's why Jesus, or Paul says of the gospel when he's preaching it, and it is the gospel of the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ, by the way. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God. It doesn't contain power. It is power. So if our gospel is not releasing power into a culture around us, perhaps we're not speaking the right gospel. Just a thought. Here's some other things that Paul said. 1 Corinthians 2.4. 
He says, when I came to you, my preaching was not with persuasive words of man's wisdom and eloquent speech, but it was with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but it would be in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom is not in word, but in power. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, for our gospel, the gospel of grace, it did not come to you in word only, but in power. How is it that 12 ordinary Galileans who couldn't even think straight, who throughout the gospels we see over and over again just galactically wrong thinking, Peter especially, totally identify with that dude. He can say the most wonderful heavenly things at one minute, and the next minute he's sticking his entire leg in his mouth. <laughs> How is it that 12 ordinary men transformed what we know to be the earth? How is it? It's the grace of God. It's not about the intellect. It's not about, that's why the whole, let's get past our theology for a minute. Theology is good, don't misunderstand me. It just means the study of God. Let's get past the dogma, and let's come to a place where it's about the experience of him. Where it's not about academic assessment anymore. It's about the experience. It's about simply taking him at his word and believing it. John three sixteen, powerful, 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 powerful passage. The most powerful passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever what? Believe. Oh, there's the qualifier. How about we just believe what he says and begin to experience it? We can't afford to give the theory without the reality anymore. That's what religion does. It gives the theory without the reality. What does salvation mean? Healing, deliverance, forgiveness of sin. It's the entire solution for the entire man. It is not just a get out of hell card. And if we think salvation just has to do with getting out of hell, then we are missing the whole point. In John 5, 19, and I'm going to end with this, Jesus is saying, revealing his humanity, he says, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. He can do nothing of himself. Come on. You're talking about God. Yeah, God. He can do nothing of himself. One of my favorite passages in Scripture that reveals the humanity of Jesus is the woman who came with the issue of blood. If anything in Scripture shows the humanity of Jesus, it's in that point right there where the, the woman with the issue of blood, she comes to him and she touches him, and he goes, who touched me? That wasn't some kind of prophetic question he was asking his disciples. He asked the question legit, legitimately, who touched me? He was on assignment from God. He was going somewhere. Somebody hears about him, comes up and touches him, and she gets healed. That's why he turns around and he says, your faith has made you well, Right? Your faith has made you well. The humanity of Jesus is revealed in that moment right there. That he's on assignment. He says already, he had already said, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. Nothing. Nothing. He hears what the Father says. He goes where the Father tells him to go. He says what the Father tells him to say. This gospel of grace, this gospel of transforming power, church, it's got to go beyond our natural ability to think. We've got to access what heaven is saying, what heaven is doing. And like today, I think it's so interesting that here we have people getting healed today, that we're seeing something happen, that you have the opportunity right now to have your mind get renewed, to hold on to it and say, Jesus heals. It's not Jesus might heal. It's Jesus heals. It's this gospel of grace. It has to go beyond our, ourselves and our own capability.
It's got to go beyond that. Everybody stand up with me here. That's right, Pent, Penta. That's right, we get five. Five is grace. Yeah, you can't escape it, can you? Oh, God, help us, help us, help us. Help us.